Welcome to the Business That Matters Spotlight. I'm Warren Coughlin, founder of this podcast and business coach to ethical entrepreneurs who want to build a business that matters. In short, I help you end chaos and gain control over your business so that you predictably and reliably achieve the profits, the lifestyle, and the impact you strive for through a team you can trust without the stress and frustration. When you experience this, you're more confidently able to make the world or just your corner of it a bit of a better place. At The Spotlight, we believe that every entrepreneur has a unique message that can positively impact the world and inspire others to do the same. Stick around to the end of the show. We'll reveal how you can be our next guest. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Business That Matters Spotlight. I'm your host, Warren Coughlin. Uh, today's going to be a really interesting conversation. We're going to be talking about combining business success and doing some good in the world through foundations. We're joined by Will Russell, founder and CEO of Russell Marketing and Russell, the Russell Gibbs Foundation. Uh, welcome, Russell. Thank you very much. Nice, nice to be here. Well, I'm sorry, I said, I said okay. Okay. Russell, welcome, Will. People call me Russ. No worries. Hi, Will. <laughs> So tell me a little bit about uh, Russell Marketing. You've got a really interesting niche, which I found fascinating, uh, you know, for people in marketing to have that kind of narrow focus on launch, as you describe it, a launch marketing firm is a really interesting and I think pretty powerful niche to focus in. Can you tell me a little bit about what the business is, who you serve, that kind of thing? Sure. So as you point to, we're a launch marketing agency and we help companies launch new products, new ideas, new services, or even new brands. So we have a five-step launch system that we put in place for all of our clients and we move the clients through that system as we prepare for their launch, such as validating their pricing, their positioning, kind of building up their prospective customer database and then obviously converting those those prospects into customers. Uh, It is a niche, it's a great little niche. Uh, the, the, The channels that we manage from a marketing standpoint are things like paid advertising, conversion re-optimization, which are pretty uh, common uh, common services for agencies, but uh, most of those agencies are just general e-com, e-commerce or, or ongoing brand management. And so by being a launch agency, uh, we're able to uh, just be a little bit more niche, uh, separate ourselves a little bit from the, the rest of the pack. And, uh, and as you point to offer something, um, offer something a little bit unique, uh, but it seems to, it seems to be very needed in this day and age, particularly uh, in the kind of post-pandemic or pandemic era when uh, employment and remote work and, and things just kind of took a massive shift. For sure. And, and so part of, part of it is you do like crowdfunding campaigns as well as ad campaigns. I saw, you know, your website's got some people to check yeah. it out at russellmarketing.co. There's some just yeah. super cool products that have been launched there. Um, yeah. You know, so how do you, what's the proportion of work that you do in that sort of crowdfunding launch versus traditional marketing? I'm probably about 60, 40, 60%, maybe 50, 60% of the work we do is crowdfunding. A lot of uh, new entrepreneurs love the concept of crowdfunding because you're, you're getting money before you're making a production run, which is obviously a very attractive proposal. Uh, I guess recently in the last year or two, more and more entrepreneurs don't want to be associated with crowdfunding because there have been instances in that space where uh, products don't get delivered and uh, people can be skeptical. Uh, so more and more we're seeing people launch on their own. These, these uh, payment platforms or things like Shopify now have functionality and apps where you can run your own pre-order campaigns. 
So more and more we're seeing uh, non-crowdfunding stuff come in, but I think right now, probably yeah, 50, 60% of our work is crowdfunding and the other is either just regular launches away from crowdfunding or, or even just some ongoing collaborations we have with folks who we launched with and wanted to keep working together. That's that's really interesting. Are you? Is it your thesis, or is there is there conversation out there that crowdfunding is on shaky ground? Like, is there a shift going to happen economically around that? I don't think so. I think crowdfunding is here for the for the foreseeable future. The big platforms, Kickstarter, Indiegogo, you know, they're not going to go anywhere. But I but I do think that there's more of an initiative at their end. And there has been the last year or two, and will continue to be of um, bringing on reputable campaigners onto the platforms and making sure that the folks that they're hosting on their platforms and bringing money in for are legitimate. And I think there's going to be more. Uh, this is going to continue to be more pressure on the platforms to be to be more cautious about that. And from a crowdfunding standpoint, I think there's going to be a big explosion. We're already seeing it of people wanted to crowdfund away from those kind of platforms just on their own. Mm-hmm. And the whole concept of pre-ordering, buying the product before it's been made up into production uh, for perhaps a big discount on what it will cost is something that we're seeing more and more businesses do even if they don't have to. Big businesses are doing it. Corporations are doing it because it's a very attractive uh, uh, proposal for them. They removes their risk and... Uh, Again, with the pandemic, supply chains have been hectic. And so it just by running pre-order campaigns rather than direct e-commerce campaigns, any sort of business just manages their risk a lot better. And it sounds like so from what you're doing, which which I'm really interested in and like because it's a more strategic approach that sort of whenever a new platform comes in, it goes, oh, this is the solution. But mm-hmm. what I'm gleaning from, from your model is it's more a strategy. It's not like there's one solution that fits something. If you're launching, yes, a crowdfunding campaign is one thing, but you got to have the right platform, the right distribution channels, the right ad campaigns, the right mm-hmm. marketing strategy from pre-launch to launch to post-launch. Is that is that fair? Yeah, that's spot on. I th- one of the one of the key things that I wanted to make sure the the launch system we have did is is offer some level of kind of timelessness Uh, because I think that a lot of the the launch strategies or the general kind of education you see online right now for marketing tactics are specific to platforms or specific to uh, particular time uh, during the online space, you know, when a particular platform is very favorable. For example, the last five years, any online strategies revolved heavily around Facebook ads. Facebook ads has been such a dominant force, but that's not going to last forever. And so I wanted to make sure that the, the concepts that we have in our system are applicable outside of a particular channel, outside of a particular platform, because otherwise we're constantly uh, chasing rather than just kind of molding what we've got to to new platforms as they come out. Now, for, in terms of your own business model, this is another thing I was just interested in about, about it is because you're, you're essentially dealing with startups who are mm-hmm. you know, launching new products. And, mm-hmm. you know, the stereotypical reality of that is maybe not, maybe it's not truly representative, but the narrative would be these are, you know, there's not a lot of cash in the bank. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, just, it's a mixed bag. Some come in... Uh, 
with a with a batch of VC funding ready to go. Um, but generally, yes, generally a lot of the folks we work with uh, want to make the bulk of payments once they've raised the money. And so a lot of the agreements we have and with other similar folks in our space is there are, there is upfront costs, uh, but generally the, the the bigger compensation will come once a product has, has launched, the revenues in the bank, and then we're paid out with, with commissions on that revenue. What's been what's been your favorite product that you've launched? Oh, that's a tough one. Well, I mean, there's a couple that always stand out to me. Uh, one was, I think, one of the the earlier ones we launched with Sheets and Giggles, and we just had it was a great campaign. It did, it did about three hundred thousand dollars, so it wasn't a, a massive, massive campaign. But that was just you know one of the early success stories we had. And Sheets and Giggles is a, is a really fun brand. The founder, I'm still good friends with. So that always stands out to me as as a campaign that. What what kind of product is it? Oh, uh, the eucalyptus bedding. Ah. Um, Sheets and giggles. It is a pun a pun based uh, organization. That always stands out to me uh, as one that, in hindsight, you know, was a great campaign. I'm so glad that we met Colin, the founder, and we were, were able to be a part of that. And then another just another one that stands out is one called Weatherflow Tempest, which is a, a weather station. They launched, did a couple of million with them at launch. And then it's just a really interesting niche. There's a lot of people uh, who are really interested in the meteorology space. And Weatherflow Tempest for about two years now, we've been working with them and they just continue to, it's a really pleasurable uh, product to be selling because people really love it. And so that's just been a great relationship. Um, yeah, I saw that one on your site. It's pretty, it's pretty cool looking. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Now you're... We're going to dive into it in a little bit. You're, you have, as I understand it, a pretty strong values foundation, you know, underneath your business, right? Like you, you try to run your business in accordance with some pretty clear values, right? We do, yeah, we do. We, the, the business originally, when I first quit my job, is was to focus on nonprofit support. You know, that I, I was in the nonprofit space and um, decided to do my own thing, but wanted to continue to work in nonprofits and social enterprise arena. Uh, so that was where we originally focused. We did pivot because that was a very financially hard area to be in. And I didn't really have the credibility, I don't think, at the time to um, to make much of an impact there. Uh, so we pivoted a little bit to this launch space. Uh, but those values have always been there. And that's why, uh, as you noted earlier, we, we launched the foundation about a year ago to try and um, make sure we have a good balance of you know, the for-profit work we're doing with those companies and also making sure that uh, non-profits and early stage social entrepreneurs were getting the support they needed to. And does just, I want to get to the foundation in a second, just a little bit more on the, on the business. Does your, does your values, do they inform your client selection? Like do, do you look at certain products and do they, either the product or the owner has to be aligned? Do you screen people out on that basis? We do. Yeah. I'm, I'm very, I'm a very open-minded person, so I don't, I don't dismiss people generally, you know, without talking to them, without having a conversation. There are some products we just won't work on. Um, as someone who grew up in the UK, you know, things like firearms and, and the mentality around that here in the US is, is a surprising one to me. So we tend to avoid that. We tend to avoid um, alcohol, you know, things like that. But, but I think in general, 
the 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 main the main value orientation we have is and what we look for in clients is people who we just want to we just want to do good work for for good people and make sure that the work we're doing allows you know everyone to to rise up and 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 so if we're working with a founder or we're going to be speaking to a founder who has a mentality of I just want to make money for the sake of money and, and I don't care about the customers, I don't care about anything else, then we're not going to want to work with them, as I'm, I'm sure is the case for many, because we want to make sure that if we're working on a campaign where we're going to be selling product to thousands of people, that those people are going to be treated in a way that we would want them to be treated. And, and um, the kind of end goal of the whole collaboration is that it improves the world just that tiny little bit, you know. And you know, I'm holding up a water bottle for those just listening. You can sell water bottles, and that's not changing the world. Right. But but if you can do it, you know, in the right way with the right kind of company, then you know you can make things a little bit better than what they would be otherwise. And I think that's a nice. As long as you can do a little bit more and make things a little bit better, us doing crowdfunding launches, we're not going to change the world. But if we can do a little bit. You know, month after month after month, that makes things just that little bit better. Then I think you know some of the products you launch can help change the world a bit. Sure, yeah, they can. I, and they I can. encourage people to go look on the website. There's <laughs> some pretty cool things there. I love the uh, the sort of camping windmill, the windmill. Yeah, yeah. Well, cool. that's. I mean, a lot of people these days position themselves as sustainable or social enterprise, and so I would say ninety percent of the, the folks that come through our website have that kind of positioning and i mean there's a gray area right like what actually makes a, a, a product sustainable and it's a tough there's no black and white there so we do try our best to work on projects that are clearly sustainable or like that you know that's a wind power um clean energy type project but we don't i don't really position ourselves like that necessarily because it's such a gray area Yes. We can't do that much research to make sure and verify the supply chain for these products. So instead, instead of calling ourselves you know, a social enterprise marketing agency, uh, we don't do that. But again, as I said, we have this nonprofit on our side, the foundation, where we can make sure we're doing good and we know we're doing good. Right. And so just for you, you know, out of for Will, where does that values focus come from? Like, what's the origin? Why do you, why do you, what, why do you light up about that stuff? Wow. I guess, I, mean, I guess my parents would want me to say it because that's how they taught me to be. Uh, so maybe we'll say that. I don't know. I think <clears throat> I think generally I'm quite empathetic as a person, I think, and money's never been a big uh, shiny object to me personally. When I was 18, 19, I was actually a soccer coach, a football coach, and that was what I wanted to be. And you don't make money football coaching unless you're Sir Alex Ferguson or you don't make money football coaching. So even well, when Ted, I was Lasso, Ted Lasso makes a good, good Ted Lasso does all right. <laughs> so, so even uh, even when I was a teenager, I, it was never a big allure to me to to be making money. I just I think I want to I want to do what I can to make my life happy and people around me happy, and uh, a consequence of that want is that. You know, I have to do a business that does good and I have to have values in the business that do good. Otherwise, I'm not going to be making myself happy selfishly right. or making those around me happy. And do, do you find, I, and I, I just want to 
acknowledge that. That's sure. so true. I mean, in a lot of the work I do, I talk, you know, the values orientation. If you're not, if you're living inconsistent with your values, it doesn't matter how much money you make, you're going to wind up feeling a bit icky inside, right? You won't feel, won't feel really happy. Right. On a business level, one of the interesting questions I find in people who have that focus is, does that constrain your business or does it actually facilitate growth? I would say for me at the moment, maybe I'm just seeing that transition between it restraining my business and facilitating growth. I think it facilitates growth if you have the, the credibility and the history uh, that goes with it, you know, and you have the proof that yes, we are a company that has values. You don't just say we're a company that has values. So I think you just need the credibility to back that up. And uh, for a while, as an example, ever since we started the foundation a year ago, uh, we, we include that reference to that in our proposals and we say, hey, you know, percentage of these profits go to the foundation. And uh, just recently, we've had a couple of clients or prospective clients you know, flag that and say, you know, that really impressed me. I really like that. Um, but only recently. So I think perhaps I'm at that transition point where because we have the foundation, because people can see uh, that we're not just talk and we actually do what we say we're doing then it does add value and i think that it will be a big value add in the future does it help you in recruiting people you'd have to ask my people <laughs> i don't i don't i don't think so I, I mean i don't specifically speak to that uh, one thing i do specifically speak to in hiring is uh, the idea of work-life balance and um the fact that your life, what's going on in your life is always more important than, than in generally what you're doing on a work standpoint. And so maybe that angle of focusing on yourself and focusing on your own happiness uh, brings in people who are similarly minded to me in their values. But I certainly, that I can recall, I don't have, I don't remember specifically talking about the foundation or nonprofit stuff and, and being a requisite or anything like that. Probably just comes off you naturally. <laughs> well, I, I think, you know, I'm listening to a book right now. Um, oh, my gosh. Uh, Originals um, by Adam Grant. Oh, and, yeah. And uh, uh, he speaks He speaks a lot about um, kind of your hierarchy in as, as, a, as a sibling and what that means for what kind of person you become and, and stuff like that, and how companies with different structures end up as they grow, you just end up uh, being homogenous, bringing in the same kind of people, just as a natural consequence of the processes that you create. So I'm sure the processes I've created do lead to hiring people who are, who are similar to me anyway, even if I didn't want for that to happen. So we talked about like kind of the, the work you do, but what's what's the secret sauce? Like what makes you and your team great at what you do? Like this kind of niche, as I say, it's, it's a pretty interesting one. And mm -hmm. just from the couple of stories you've told, you've obviously had some success in those launches. Mm -hmm. So is it just a process skill or is there some, you know, is there a magic to the, the people you have or the way you run your culture or the training? Like what's what makes, you know, Russell marketing great? Mm -hmm. I would say a few things. Uh, number one, everyone on our team really cares. We really do. You know, not all launches go well. Sometimes launches don't work. And the pain that we feel when that happens is, is really steep. 
And so we're a very empathetic team. And when you're working with founders, especially first-time founders, that's really important because this is a big deal for them. You know, this is maybe their first idea, their first launch. This is their world. And they need that support. They need people around them who are who are empathizing with the stress that they go through during that process. So I think that's really important. Uh, I would also say that from a tactical standpoint, what really differentiates launch marketing companies from regular marketing companies are some of the nuances they're going to face during the launch process, such as uh, optimization and, and improvement of certain marketing strategies. So the general marketer might be tasked with improving a website conversion rate X percent over a few months, and they can run dozens of tests to try and make that happen. In launch marketing, you don't have several months, and you certainly don't have dozens of tests to get it right. So you're really under a pressure to get things right very, very quickly with a big time constraint. And uh, launch agencies just go through so many launches, they get the experience that allows them to, to predict what's going to go wrong or predict what needs to happen before it happens. So it's actually there's a term called absence blindness, which a chap called a... Uh, James Clear wrote about. Yeah, it's just the idea of seeing what's not there. And so I think when you're talking about you know what's the secret or what's the special source, I think any launch marketer uh, with talent and with expertise will have a, a special sense of absence blindness where they can do it, they can predict what's going to happen um, from a marketing standpoint before it happens, and that's just super super critical in the launch space because you don't have time. To make mistakes or you don't have time to iterate on things for months. And for your own business, how do you how do you manage your growth? Like people who've listened to me for a while know I'm pretty big on strategic planning and operational yeah. strategy and execution executing in a really disciplined way. You know, what do you do as far as as far as planning? You know, we're at we're at the time this is recorded, we're sort of at the end of October. Um, you know, looking towards 2022. How do you as a leader of the business manage for growth? It's a very interesting question for this year. So up until this year, as a service-based business, growth in clientele essentially has to mean growth in personnel on the team. And we got to eight, nine people last year. And I think that's a good number. You know, we talk about values-based businesses. My goal is not to... uh, you know, become a competitor to Edelman. I, that's not what I want to do. I don't want to be, be the next Uber. I want uh, a nice team, a good team doing good work that aligns with their values and provides a good life for people. So we got to eight, nine, and I said, okay, 2021 is going to be a year of just pure stability from a personnel standpoint. And I want to see how, how do we grow organically or what are the things we can do to grow organically without just adding personnel every time we have to get more business. So that's been an interesting year. And this is a year of kind of baseline metrics for me in determining, well, with the people we have, if we never hire up to 10 people, we never go beyond like double digits, what what could our potential growth path look like? What do we need to do um, to improve that? Uh, What do we need to do to grow that without just putting more people and more man hours into it? So from a strategic standpoint or a growth standpoint, this is actually a really interesting year for me. And I have a phone call with my accountant on Monday to go through these numbers, actually. Uh, and this is a baseline. And this is going to show me, okay, 
with the team I have, which I really like, I really like where we're at, I really like the size, what's possible, what growth is possible. Uh, and then ne- at the end of next week, we actually have a, a team offsite trip where we're going to get get into this and talk specifically around uh, how does our pricing need to change or should it change to make sure we're continuing to grow and the additional value we're providing with our experience. And also, uh, we're going to start looking more at what are some of the lower ticket uh, items that we have that could that, that provide value that could be sold. So, for example, right now, even if someone uh, just wants to run a short period of campaign with us, that might cost them $10,000 in total. However, uh, lots, some people don't have that, as you pointed out. So what do we have? And after five years, we have plenty of assets and resources and processes and templates. So what do we have that we can repurpose uh, into a into a, something that is more affordable for all startups and can also become perhaps some recurring revenue for us to, to enable us to have this growth while stabilizing the number of personnel we have? Awesome. So you're, you're, you're on top of that and trying to do that. Well, <laughs> no, it's great. I mean, a lot of yeah, people I ask that question to, they're like, I don't, you know, we're not sure yet. So you've got some, you've got some chops behind that, which is awesome. I'm trying, Let's yeah. just transition to the foundation a little bit. So tell, yeah. tell me a little bit about that. What's it for? What does it do? And how did it come about? Yes. Yeah, so about a year and a half ago, uh, we had a team, we have team masterminds all the time, but we had a team mastermind about how we can do more good with the projects we have, do more good in the world. Uh, several of my team have come from the nonprofit space, including myself, and those that haven't are very like-minded. We all want to just make the world a better place. That's important to us. None of us are focused solely on becoming Jeff Bezos. So we had this conversation, and there were a few options on the table. You know, One of the options was uh, kind of at Google 20% time, or 20% of our time is done on non-business related projects you know non-profit pro bono projects for example uh we had and one option was we we build a foundation create a foundation where we can redistribute profits so we can still focus our entire time on working with these companies that have a lot of money and can make a lot of money but then instead of just sitting on that money we are reinvesting that money elsewhere with folks who really really need it so that's how the foundation came about. Uh, we voted on the area of focus. We had, I think, about a dozen areas of focus we wanted to focus on. And uh, we all voted and racial inequity uh, won out. Uh, so that's where the foundation focuses, focuses on supporting early stage nonprofits who are looking you know, at solutions in racial equity, to racial inequity. Uh, so at the moment, you know, we, we, we have maybe six or seven different organizations that we've distributed grants to recently who are all super early stage. Um, maybe they're just going through their first accelerator program. Uh, maybe they don't even have a website yet. And are, they all, are they all pure grants or are they micro loans or? They're all pure grants. Yeah. And, but they're very, I mean, the biggest one is $10,000. I think the smallest one is $1,500. So, they're relatively small amounts in the grand scheme of nonprofit fundraising, but oftentimes these early stage organizations, they just need a couple of thousand dollars to get the website set up and, and, and build out some basic brands. And maybe they want to do a couple of local community meetings that they need to pay for uh, the location for. And so it's real basic stuff that 
doesn't get funded by the, the big Clinton foundations because it's really hard to measure. Like, what's the impact of a, of a, of a meeting, you know, uh, to, to start a movement? So I think these early stage nonprofits are left out of traditional funding. And, um, and because of our experience in the launch space, that's, that makes complete sense as, a, as an area to support financially. That's very aligned. So yeah, that's awesome. Support programmatically as well. So there's a couple of accelerators we work with now where we provide marketing support or kind of tuition to their to their cohorts. So that's that launch kind of experience again, uh, paying dividends. Well, I just want to reaffirm the value of that. I mean, I've been on I've been on the boards of several nonprofits. And one of the challenges you always face in that space is everyone wants to fund the, the sexy programs mm-hmm. and no one wants to fund core operations because that, you know, who wants to say I funded admin support? Mm-hmm. And that's the big challenge for nonprofits. And for people who are listening, when you think about supporting, you know, it, it feels great to support some cool program where you can see the, the child you've helped or the sick person is better. But organizations need help with the core funding. Like just, mm-hmm. you got to pay rent, you got to pay for insurance, you got to pay for your office staff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, like you say, the, the organizing meetings, those are things that really matter. So the fact that you've helped these startup organizations at that core funding level is, that's one of those small hinges move big doors. Yeah, I hope so. And that was kind of what, I like that uh, analogy, small hinges and move big doors, because this this is a tiny tiny foundation uh, from with you know coming from profits from a relatively small marketing agency. We're not going to change the world, but I think there are pockets, <clears throat> there are areas where a little bit of impact can go a long way. Mm-hmm. And so for for early you know, big movements, if you can help them get started, then those movements will grow. And you can't. I mean, it's pretty hard to point to. Uh, Yes, our thousand dollars to help them set up their first meeting has led to them being this big foundation, or sorry, big big movement. You can't really make that causation um, comparison, but you know that what you did was support, what you did was help, and you got them going. And so there's an interesting uh, contribution rather than attribution in understanding impact. You know, you can't attribute the success of a project to our thousand dollars, but we can say that our contribution, you know help put them on the direction and the path they need to be on. Well, there's the, there's the impact and made through the dollars, but there's also just the impact that if you're a, if you're a startup nonprofit focused on racial justice and all of a sudden this marketing company comes in and gives you money, mm-hmm. there's such a validation associated with that. Like there's the, there's the value of the check, but there's also the value that my God, we have people in the community who care about what we do. And it kind of, mm-hmm. it's like a fuel injection that helps people even go further with it. I think. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And how do you, how do you balance the two things? Like where, where does your time get allocated between these? Uh, it, it fluctuates. So right now I've actually got a lot going on. I've got a, I've got to deliver a manuscript of a book I'm writing on the 1st of November. So this month for me and the last couple of months have been very focused on that uh, and very focused on the business because October is generally a busy month for us. But during the summer, for example, we were just, uh, we were going through the period of the foundation of finding the grantees that we wanted to deliver funds to. And so a lot of time was spent uh, on the foundation uh, during those summer months. And now we've delivered those grants we're kind of in this middle period where we'll let that money go to work and uh, kind of have a couple of months before we really take a look at it and, and understand 
how it's working. So I would say I usually set aside maybe an afternoon a week for the foundation versus my business, uh, but that really fluctuates depending on depending on the month. So last thing I'd like to do, I just have three sort of rapid fire questions. Yeah, that's good. Uh, as an entrepreneur, what's been your biggest learning? Biggest learning is that, I'm going to say it in a quote, I'm going to say it in a quote, Ricky Gervais quote, the best advice I ever received was, no one else knows what they're doing either. The biggest learning is that <laughs> no one else knows what they're doing either. And therefore, I can have the confidence to do these things. That's a big learning. That is fantastic. I love that so much. Um, I just add to it, though, like, even though the, the people don't know what they're learning, that means that when you do go and learn, you're a leg up on everybody else. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't mean that no one knows anything, but it, it means that everyone's learning. Everyone's trying. Um, and so never feel that you're not good enough or you can't do this or how can I run a business? How can I start a foundation? Because, I, you know, as Ricky Gervais says, you don't know what you're doing, but neither does anyone else. So just go for it. Love that. Uh, one personal quality that you most had to improve or overcome? I'm still working on it. I'm very defensive. I hate criticism. And as, as a manager um, and, and a service provider, I have to deal with criticism a lot and it pains me. So I'm, I'm still working on it. Aren't we all? <laughs> What's interesting, like when you when you are somebody committed to quality, then when it's pointed out that it is, you know, somebody didn't think it's a quality, it, it's like, yeah, like I used to be an actor and theater director, and we'd always joke that you could get a standing ovation, but the one person who's still sitting in their seat with their arms crossed—that's all anybody can talk about in the dressing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one personal quality that most contributed to your success. Again, I think it goes hand in hand with the defensiveness in that I believe I'm right. I, I have the confidence. You know, I, I really think that I can do this now. And and so the belief that I have in myself, the commitment I have uh, to, to, to pursue these ideas, even though, yeah, maybe I don't really know what I'm doing in this space or I'm still learning about something. Just that hard-headedness, you know, committed uh, aspect of myself, um, determined, I think is hands down. I've actually, I love quotes, and I've got another one right in front of me, and it's uh, Abraham Lincoln. Your own resolution to succeed is more important than anyone thing. And like, that's a resolution. I think that's been my biggest asset. Just I'm, I'm resolved and committed to, to succeeding. Nice. So where can people find you, Well. Absolutely. So uh, the marketing agency, you can see, see more about launch marketing at uh, russellmarketing.co. Uh, if you want to check out the foundation, that's russellgives.org. Uh, if you want to reach out to me, then just uh, send me an email. Will at russellmarketing.co is probably your best bet. And obviously, you can find us on all the socials. So feel free to, to check in. Nice. Thank you so much for taking the time. I hope you, I, I got a ton of value out of this. I just love the combination of passion of wanting to make a difference, the confidence, having a strategic orientation, uh, the difference you're going to make in the world, choosing a niche that's unique and developing the skills around that with passion. It's a, it's a great story and I wish you nothing but continued success. Thanks very much, Warren. Well, it was a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. You bet. Hi, it's Warren Coughlin here. Thank you so much for listening to the Business That Matters Spotlight. 
If you're a successful values-driven entrepreneur who makes a difference while making a profit and you'd like to be on this program, please visit warrencoglin.com slash podcast slash apply. That's Warren, C-O-U-G-H-L-I-N.com slash podcast slash apply. If you got something out of this interview, would you do us a favor and share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag Business That Matters Spotlight. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We're regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to our website, warrencoglin.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, facebook.com slash a business that matters, and Instagram at warren.coglin. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.